0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Many of you are grateful for our worship team. Yes. I'm grateful for Sundays like this where it's just a little bit quieter, where there's maybe an instrument that's removed because that means what? That means y'all got to sing, right? That means the church has to sing. And that's why we come together to do this. We're all worshiping the name of Jesus today. Amen? Come on. All right, thank you so much, worship team. Thank you for leading us to the throne of grace. You may have a seat here in the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful to be here on another Sunday. I'm grateful uh, to be here that we get to uh, do this, this thing that we've been doing the last few Sundays. Uh, we kind of started it with this sermon series. But as we start the message, uh, we kind of release and bless our kids as they go into uh, their environment. So let's, let's give our kids a big round of applause and just bless them as they go into their worship environments. I'm so grateful. Oh yeah come on don't stop don't don't stop clapping if there's still kids going, right? come on, let 's go, yes, hallelujah, I love it. I love being able to do this. I love having our kids in worship with us. It means so much because this is where they learn how to praise God by watching y'all. this is where they learn how to give their hearts to Jesus by watching us today. So uh, as we've been in this series, as I've already mentioned, it's called the Forgotten Virtue. We've been going through 1 John uh, chapters 2 and 3 we've covered so far. We're going to be in chapter 3 again today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10. 1 John chapter 3 starting in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me here. If you can't read this and still don't have a Bible, let me know. And I'd be happy to buy you one. I'm serious about that. I would love to buy you a Bible because you need God's word more than you need my word. Amen? Well, a couple of people want to listen to me more than God today. Amen. Well, you're in for a treat because I've got a lot to say today. I'm excited today. I'm excited to preach. I'm excited to be here uh, on, on this Sunday. We're, we're going to start by opening uh, looking at a Jewish philosopher. His name is Martin Buber. Many of us have probably never heard of Martin Buber, but maybe you've heard of his most famous philosophy. It's something... Uh, called I and Thou is the name of his philosophy. I and Thou, where I am at the center, where I'm looking at myself at the center and how I relate to a thou or a you is that I am inextricably tied to this person. If there is a person in my life, I am tied to them, that we are connected on some levels, that I can never remove their personhood from them because I'm looking at them as a person. I'm seeing them and acknowledging their personhood, their personality, and 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 I'm connected to them. The other portion of this, of I and thou, is I and it, the way that I would relate to an it. So an it is not a person, right? An it is like a piece of pizza uh, or the Chicago White Sox, right? Like you can pick whatever you want. It's something that you would use or experience, but it's not something... Uh, that is is tied to you it's something that is separate from you and why is this important today for us to understand the difference between i and it and i and thou is because what we are called to as christ followers is that we are never called to look at a person as an it amen this is hard it's a philosophical explanation for a lot of the things that we've been seeing this last year right where it's really easy To strip someone from their personhood and consider them an it. Whether they're not a person anymore, they're a Republican or a Democrat. where they're not a person anymore, they're white, black, or Latino. Where we remove the personhood from somebody and they become an it. Something that we use or experience, but something that is always going to be separate from I. Separate from me. And this is how we have seen kind of this... This this manifestation, and I think this has been going on for a long, long time, as we'll see uh, as we look at scripture today. But it's it's where you kind of get this othering concept as well, where you're not part of me, you're not part of us, you're the other. And when someone else is the other, it's easy to hate them. This is a hard thing to to hear today. It's going to be a hard message for many of us today, but it's one that we need to hear because it's in the Bible. I think we all understand how pervasive the problem of hatred is in our lives today. Now, before you before you hang up on me right before don't don't leave don't throw any rotten fruit at me just yet right i think hatred is also a biblical thing right that that god does hate things did you know the bible says god hate things that god uh, that certain things are abominations to the lord that's a really strong word and i think that hate kind of exists in all of us and again we hate insignificant things pretty easily right like I don't like certain foods, so I hate certain foods. Like, I like pizza, but I don't like mushrooms on my pizza. I would go so far to say is I hate mushrooms, right? I would also go so far to say is I hate the Chicago White Sox. They're not really my people. I'm raised on the other side of town in Chicago. I'm a Cubs fan. Any Cubs fans? Two Cubs fans. Hallelujah. We're doing it together. (laughs) Right? But, you know, we have this this hatred for, like, insignificant things. Like, I don't like the way certain colors of text looks on a piece of paper, right? You can have those types of things with insignificant things. And I think we also have hatred for more significant things in our lives as well, like the painful effects of cancer, like suffering in the world, like war and death and loss. I think we point hate towards that. And for all of us who claim to follow Jesus... The Bible also gives us lists of things that we are to hate if we follow Jesus. Lists of things that God hates. I want to read something from Proverbs chapter 16, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 of things that God hates. Putting others down while considering yourself superior. God hates that. Spreading lies and rumors. God hates that. Spilling the blood of the innocent. God hates that. Plotting evil in your heart toward one another. God hates that gloating over doing what's plainly wrong, spouting lies and false testimony, stirring up strife between friends. These are entirely despicable to God. So in many ways, hating sin is in fact Christ-like. And I think some of the hatred that we would ascribe to an it, like a sin, like a sports team, like a pizza topping... I think that those are, those are okay things that we just don't like, and it's, it's okay to feel that way. But sometimes I think we end up falling into the very sin that we ought to hate. We end up falling into taking our hatred off of an it and, turn, and putting it directly onto another human being. And it, it, it depersonalizes them, it dehumanizes them, and it turns them into an it. Instead of a thou. This is why we opened with I and it and I and thou, because in essence, this is othering. In essence, this is a separate category that we, maybe not we, maybe I should stop saying we, people at other churches. Is that better? Is that easier? People at other churches down the road, they tend to do this because it certainly doesn't happen here, right? Uh, They tend to put other people into separate categories because it helps them justify their ungodly thoughts. It helps them justify their ungodly behaviors. It helps them justify ultimately hating someone. Now, you may be saying, like, I don't do that. I've never done that. That's not me. I don't hate anyone. I don't know who you're talking to. Wrong message, wrong church. That's not me. And, and that very well may be true, but I think this is very important for us to go to scripture to see the condition that all of us were once in. As we go to the book of Romans, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to pull out a couple words here from Romans chapter 1 in, in verse 30. Uh, the, Paul says that those who reject the gospel are literally the word he uses in the Greek, haters of God. So when you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you hate God. Later on in chapter 5, verse 10, he helps us to see that those of us who have embraced the gospel, we were once enemies of God. Literally the word means we were once hating and being hostile towards God. The point is that at one time in all of our lives, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. And, you know, we, we understand this, right? We understand the gospel. We understand these Ephesians 2 moments, right? That we were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following in the path of disobedience. But, God, there was this moment where Christ illuminated himself to us by his Holy Spirit. And by grace through faith, we were saved, right? And then now we are uh, immune from hating anyone ever again, so we think. Uh, but there is a letter that was written here that I think is so important for us to understand. And there should be some dissonance, right? Like... If your life looks pretty much the same before you accepted Christ and after you accepted Christ, you may not have accepted Christ. But I just want to throw that out there. I'm not picking on anyone, but I'm saying that there should be a massive difference in our hearts when we receive the gospel of Christ truly, right? And this othering, this turning people into it, while we all slip up, we all, we all end up in, in, in bad spaces, and we, we all still need the sacrifice for our sin. This letter is going to show us. Now we know we're either a child of God or a child of the devil. There's a glaring example of this today, and it's the author of the letter we're going to read. That the apostle of love, John himself, the one who, as we saw last week, talked about the world more times than any other gospel writer together, he also talked about love. More times than any of the other gospel writers combined together. 57 times in the gospel of John. 46 times in the letters, the epistles of John, he talks about love. So if you're going to talk about love that much and you're going to be called the apostle of love, you're probably a pretty loving guy, right? But there was something that was pretty interesting about John in, in Mark chapter 3. There's a moment where Jesus calls him and his brother Andrew the Sons of Thunder. So he's got two nicknames. Sons of Thunder, I think, is way cooler than the Apostle of Love, personally. Uh, but it's, it's, not, it's not more spiritual at all. It's... It just sounds cool, right? So he's called the Son of Thunder, but why? Like, how do you get a nickname like that? And uh, they're looking at a village, a village that that had Samaritan people in it that were uh, rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. And John, standing in the background with Andrew, I would just have loved to have been here for this moment. He says, hey, Jesus, do you think that me and my brother should call fire down from heaven to kill all of them? And Jesus is like, No. No, stop. He rebukes him, right? He's like, don't do that. Why would you do that? That's wrong, right? So how does this guy go from Jesus, should we kill all of these people, into the apostle of love? How does he turn into that? So if he can turn into that, and this might be just, you know, this might be way out there for some of you guys. Even the people that you think most vile, they can actually have a dramatic change of heart as well. Isn't that an amazing thought, right, that, that John goes from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. And there's something more going on here, which I, I don't know exactly, like, right, I wasn't there. There's not a whole lot of context other than Mark 3, what we see happening. But John was a Jew. Andrew was a Jew. This was a Samaritan village. They were taught to hate each other from their upbringing. They were taught, you're not like them. You're better than them. So I think that if he were walking with Jesus, how could he ask Jesus, should I kill an entire village if he didn't turn them into an it? If he didn't look at them and say, I'm different than you, I'm from a different country than you, I'm a different nationality than you, I'm a different race than you, I serve a different God than you, I might even vote different than you. There was no voting, right? But you understand the point. He turned them into it so can people actually change dramatically from sons of thunder to apostles of love no matter again no matter how vile you yes you might think them to be is that change possible with christ absolutely it is and it's only possible as we follow christ in faith and friends if we are going to be called christ followers it means you're going to be in school for your whole life can give a collective groan if you want right many of you have taken your last class and you're like i'm never going back to school but but this is what discipleship is christian author eugene peterson says it's a long obedience in the same direction that you are in school your whole life in this series that we're in the forgotten virtue learning how to love again because if you're a disciple of christ you're going to be learning how to love again and again and again And again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Christ is going to teach you more ways of how you need to learn how to love. And we will always be confronted with opportunities to love selfishly or to love sacrificially. We're always going to be confronted with opportunities to love temporarily or endlessly, those are going to continue to come to us as the people of Christ. So what we need to understand here from this letter today, 1 John chapter 3, verses 10-18, through 18, we're going to look at John's life. That somehow, between Luke chapter 9 and 1 John, he has been walking with Christ, being discipled and taught and schooled by the Spirit of Christ. And he has matured and he has seasoned. And as we pick up this letter today, where, we're, where we left off last week, we're going to see that John gives a distinguishing difference... Between children of God and children of the devil, I find it very interesting that there's not a third category. There are children of God or there are children of the devil. And that means all of us in here today. Now, I know you're at church and you may believe there is no chance that I'm not a child of God. You did come to the late service, though. So like the early service, they're in there for sure, right? They woke up early. But that was a joke. It's okay. Some of you got it. It's all right. He gives no in-between, no third option. He says the distinguishing difference between children of God and children of the devil is a love of God, a love for others expressed through serving. Truth, love, service. This is how you know you're a child of God. And then he says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Truth, love, and service. If you don't love your brother, John says, the Bible says, you're a child of the devil. Those are hard words for us to hear today. So we're going to unpack this today, and I want us to just look at a couple threads. The th- first thread is truth, love, and service. Let's say it together. Truth, love, service. Truth, love, service. That once we see the truth and we embrace the love, we turn into love, and that turns into service, right? That this is the thread that we see going through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So but, but what's, what's leading your heart today? What is pushing your actions today? Is it truth, love, and service that's causing you to be the way you are? Or is it hatred for other people? What is influencing your hands today? Ultimately, our hands are the expression, the manifestation of that which is in our heart. So what's coming out of us today? Is it love or is it hate? Are we a child of God or are we a child of the devil? We're going to look at this in two points today. The first point is hate takes. The second point is love serves. Very simple. Hate takes takes. Love serves. First John chapter three, we're going to start in verse 11. Uh, everyone, you can go ahead and open your Bibles now. First John chapter three, I see some people not with Bibles in your hands, and I, and I don't see your eyes here. so either you're looking at the Bible or you're looking at the screen. If you're looking at something else, you may miss it, and I don't want that. First John three, starting in verse 11. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this letter, this epistle, which is just a letter from an apostle, somebody who walked with Jesus, Uh, it's a general epistle. So this is something John wrote and intended it to be circulated through the churches, primarily the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So those churches that show up in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, right? Smyrna, Smyrna, Pergamum, Laodicea, these these churches, right? These are the ones that this letter would have circulated through. And he wanted everybody in those churches to understand what was in this letter. But I, I also believe this letter could have just as easily been Written to us today, amen? And I do believe that God had us in mind, that as He, a few thousand years ago, prompted the Holy Spirit of the living God to inspire the Apostle John to write this letter to churches, He had Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac in 2021 in mind, because one of the primary emphases of John's letter. And the church is just instructions on how to follow that which they've already heard and that which Jesus has already commanded. This is basically what John is doing. He's saying, you know this stuff. You've already heard this stuff. And this is what discipleship is, friends. Discipleship is not a program. It's not a class. It's not a paradigm. Discipleship is... Matthew 28, right? Discipleship is teaching others to obey all that Jesus has commanded so that then they would do it with others. This is simple. This is discipleship. Jesus has taught me something. I'm going to teach others, and I'm going to expect that they teach others to obey all that Christ has commanded. And we need to remember that the church is intended to, in, in, to display this godlike love to the brotherhood right we know from john 13 the world will know you're my disciples how by the way you love one another john says it again right here you've heard from the beginning that you are to love one another and if we don't demonstrate love for those of us who are in christ how on earth are we going to demonstrate love for the world how on earth are we going to be able to demonstrate love for people that are literally uh, enemies of jesus christ i don't think we're going to be able to that if we don't have love at home right first can't can't take love out to the world well that we have to understand how to do this uh, at home first with the brotherhood and really what John is saying is that a lack of love for the brotherhood a lack of love for the church is really pretty symptomatic of a lack of love for God that if you don't actually really truly deeply sincerely love God then you can't do those things with others you can't do those things with the brothers because there's always going to be something that gets in the way, right? There's always going to be something that rises up, some reason to get mad at somebody. right? How many, how many honest people do we have in here that have made up a reason to get mad at someone? Come on. Yeah, and if you're married, you, you've done this, right? For sure you have. I get it. It's okay. Or how many have you thought somebody made up a reason to get mad at you? There you go. There we go. Amen. All right, so what does John do? He illustrates this concept. And again, we're going to see this thread, the thread of truth, love, and service. We're also going to see a thread from Genesis chapter 4 to the Sermon on the Mount, to the Apostle John's epistle, and then to us today. So it's, it, it, this is why the Bible is so amazing to me, right? It's one story. It's one common story with one common thread written years apart, miles apart, different writers, but it's one common idea. So He illustrates this concept with the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis 4. We don't have time to really talk through it in its entirety. We're just going to draw out some highlights. But if you want to read in your own time, 1 John chapter 3 and Genesis 4 next to each other, this will make a little bit more sense for you. But basically what we see happening, which is just amazing to me how... Adam and Eve, right, the first people on earth, they have sons, Cain and Abel, and then they kill each other. One of them kills the other one, right? Like, if you are a parent of sons, you understand, right? Like, that. I I think it's pretty possible that Judah could kill Ezra, like, any moment, right? They get that mad, right? So I, I get it a little bit, but it's also a little bit shocking to me, like, man, humanity only took one generation to turn into murderers? To murder your brother? I think that shows even more clearly how deeply rooted hatred is in our hearts. We grew up with it. What happens here? Abel and Cain, right? They're offering sacrifices to the Lord. Abel offers the Lord his best. He does it worshipfully and out of sincerity. The Lord is pleased. Cain offers the Lord something less than his best. He offers it out of duty and insincerity, and the Lord is not pleased. And in Cain's heart at this moment, I believe envy, jealousy, resentment, comparison, fear, hatred, grief, they all just boil up. They bubble up, and God gives him the chance to basically receive the grace to not allow the temptation that he's experienced Experiencing to draw him into anger, hatred, murder, and Cain denies it, falls into his temptation. He's ruled by his temptation, and he turns Cain into excuse me, he turns Abel into an it because he allows his feelings to mask that this is actually my brother. He allows the, the, the negative feelings he's experiencing to say, we're no longer tied together, now I only see rage and you are the object of my rage. He carried out his own self justified judgment and assumed the real judge would never judge him, right? And I think for many of us, we need to be very cautious when we look at the story of Cain and Abel about carrying out our own self justified judgment. How many judges does the world have okay just that's it that's the only point I had uh so uh Genesis number four you you made it for me it was perfect right uh Genesis chapter four right we see Cain and Abel's story and then we see this thread kind of continuing because I think that Jesus when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five I think this story's in his head I think he like because he was there he was present. He's been there since before the world began. So Jesus saw this. He, he encountered this interaction between Cain and Abel. And I think when he preached the Sermon on the Mount and then it was recorded by Matthew in, in chapter 5 of his gospel, when he says this, I think he had Cain and Abel in mind. He said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. So what does Jesus do? He exposes our own self-righteousness. Just in the same way that Cain had this self-justified judgment, Jesus now takes it a step further. Again, it's the same concept working through. He exposes our own self-righteousness. Cain and his hatred took Abel's life. The Jews and Gentiles and their hatred took Jesus' life. Hate takes life. Hate takes life. Cain's attitude represents the world's attitude towards light this is where we see a concept that i think is very common for us to understand that those that are bent on doing evil will always hate those that are bent on doing good right that if you are bent on evil you're going to hate christians you're going to hate people that are actually following jesus right if you're a real christian in the workplace you're going to get picked on probably because there's people that are following their father, the devil, right? You're either children of the devil or children of God. So what we see coming out in Cain's heart here, right? We see all these emotions come out. We see him blinded by rage and anger. And if we, you spend some more time in Genesis 4, you're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff that he does and all the ways he tries to backpedal from God who knows all and sees all. But it, ultimately what Jesus shows us here from Cain and Abel is this. It's found in the Gospel of John. John writes this. He says this. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world... And the people loved darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So Christ is the contrast here. As we're talking about I and it and I and thou and hate taking and how this anger and this othering and this dehumanizing can all kind of happen and we see it happening sort of all over the place. Ultimately we see that hate takes life and why does it do it? Because the light has come into the world and and the darkness is mad at the light. The darkness is scared of the light. The darkness can't stand the light. Why? Because the works are evil and they don't want their works to be exposed. So what's the contrast? The light of the world. Jesus Christ has come into the world to do what? To give life. Hate takes, but Jesus came to give life, to call his followers, us, friends, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and John's message to the church. Remember, this is Genesis 4, to the Sermon on the Mount, to the Apostle John's epistle to these churches that are being circulated. It's the same big idea, and it is follow Christ, not Cain. He's saying, don't follow this way, do follow this way, because one of these ways takes life, the other gives life. And this is the gospel in and of itself. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he didn't wait for you to have it all, all together. He didn't wait for you to, he didn't wait till he liked you enough to then come to the cross and die for you. He said, while you're still a sinner, I know. All these things are bound up in your heart. Because I was there with Cain and Abel, because I've been here before any other human beings were here, and I'm here right now, I know exactly what's going on in your heart. And I know that envy and greed and jealousy and lust and, and hatred and anger and spiritual immaturity and gossip and all these things are bound up in your heart, and I know you can't fix it. This is the gospel that Jesus said, you can't try hard enough to get sin out of your life only christ can remove sin from our life only sacrifice and atonement can remove sin from our life so if you are sick of hating people if you are sick of waking up angry every morning if you are sick of going to bed angry every every evening and you don't really know why i want you to just take a look at jesus you can do it on your own time i'm going to keep preaching this message but but you can do it on your own time but you got to take a look at jesus and understand that hatred of other people is not found in jesus hatred of sin is found in jesus hatred of actions as we saw in proverbs chapter 6 is found in god's heart but hatred of others we don't find that anywhere in christ and as we see this truth love and service as we come to the truth of jesus christ as the only messiah as the lord's anointed as the only one that can remove sin from our life that turns into love because we then see love right for god so loved the world that he gave jesus so you see Wow, I am amazingly loved, even though I am despicable in my behavior, even though my thoughts, my words, and my deeds all point towards the devil. I see love, and love has loved me, and that turns into love inside of me, which turns into love for the brotherhood. This is is what God is saying, that if you don't love your brother, you probably don't know me. God is saying, if you don't actually have love for other people, you have not been forgiven. You haven't understood how much you've been forgiven of. Right now, again, we can get tied up, we can get caught up, we can, we can walk away, we can turn our head away, but, but the truth remains the same. If love for the brotherhood is not found in us, then chances are we're children of the devil. And we need to square that somehow. I can't square it for you today in these 35 minutes, but we got we to gotta square this in our lives somehow because I, the world needs to see what children of God actually look like. The world needs to see a church full of children of God that are going to love one another and that are going to understand truth, receive love, and express it in service. Truth, love, service. Cain and Abel were brothers. They killed each other because, excuse me, Cain killed Abel because they didn't get this. Just like we're called by Jesus throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Friends, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, spiritual family on mission. And this is the part that's just like shocking to me. That apparently people that went to church needed to hear this message. Maybe I'm the only one shocked by this because I know it doesn't happen at this church, but apparently, people at a church that John was writing to, and even other churches that John expected this letter to circulate to, allowed hate and anger to dictate their deeds. And it was taking things from the movement of the gospel. Hate takes. So I believe that in the same way this letter had an intended audience, we are part of the intended audience. So what we need to ask ourselves is do we give life to each other? Do we give life to one another? Or do we allow our hatred and our rivalry and our competition and our comparison and our spiritual immaturity to take from our brothers and our sisters? There's a great way for you to learn this. If there's somebody that's close to you, just ask them. How do you experience me? If they trust you and you trust them, they'll give you an honest answer and you'll have a real answer. But I think there's also another great way to learn this. Ask that same person, what have I done for you? And if something doesn't pop up right away, truth, love, and service, we might not be living it out to the full extent that Christ has called us to. So I know this has been a, a bit of a hard message, but, but it's hard because we need it to be hard. It's hard because it's in the Bible and we need to understand it. So, but it's about to get easier. Amen? Amen. And you guys got your hallelujah stored up? There's a, I, I'm going to say something that you need to say hallelujah afterwards, okay? All right. We are not always called to like each other. <laughs> yeah, okay. Some of y'all are being shy this morning, right? Some of of you probably wanna get up and walk out right now and be like, that's what I needed. Thank you, pastor, I'm done, right? That's all I needed today. We are not always called to like each other. That was the easy part of the message. Now we're back into the extremely difficult part of the message. We are always called and commanded to love one another. Now, here's the big difference, right? And there's the great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, talked about love and like and said that they are essentially different things. That they are not degrees of the same thing. We so commonly believe the lie of the world that love is just a whole lot of liking. They are totally different things. Liking something is totally unintelligible, right? I like pizza. I don't like mushrooms. That didn't take any thought. I just, I don't like it. I don't have to think about it. And I don't like the White Sox, right? I can just look at that. I don't even have to think about it. I don't like it, right? Right? But love is something entirely different, and not the way the, the world talks about love, right? The way the world talks about love is not true biblical love. It's infatuation, right? It's just a high level of liking. It's, I like you so much that I'm going to call it love now because I don't have a, a, a better word for really, really like, right? So, but, but biblical love is something very different. And I think as we look at, like, marriages... People wouldn't get divorced at the rate they are if we understood the difference between like and love, right? I really, 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 really like you, so I'm going to marry you. And now, after 1, 10, or 15 years, I don't really like you that much anymore. But love continues on. Love is something you're commanded to and called to. Love is something deeply intelligent, deeply thoughtful, and deeply creative, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, I want to read his definition of love, and we need to hear this, church. We need to understand this today. Love overcomes obstacles and excuses. Love sees beyond what it does not like and minimizes it in order to see the person who is at the back of it. I'm going to read that part again. Love sees beyond what it does not like and minimizes it in order to see the person who is at the back of it. To love those whom we do not like means we treat them as if we did like them. This is, why we talk, this is why we started with I and it and I and thou. There may be it things about you, maybe not you necessarily, that I don't like. But love makes those things very small so I can see the person. Love makes those things very small. The little things that I don't like about people, the little things that I turn into monumental things that are really meaningless, moves those things out of the way so I can see the person. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus does not like sin. Jesus does not like our sin at all. I would go so far to say Jesus really, 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 really doesn't like our sin. But he minimizes it by putting himself on the cross so he can see the person and say, I love you and I want you. This is what we're called to do, church. This is our calling. We are not called to like everybody in the church, but we are called to love. We are commanded to love everybody in the church. You may not like everybody in your family, and that's okay. You don't have to like them. You do have to love them if they are in the family of God. But what we cannot do is allow our dislike of a situation or a thing to turn into what it turned into in Cain's life. His dislike of how he felt... And his displeasure of how he felt with the Lord's displeasure with his offering turned into anger, turned into hatred, and turned into the murder of his brother. And I would say that many of us have murdered our brothers and our sisters in our minds and our hearts. Many of us maybe haven't been convicted of murder and gone to prison for it. But you've killed people in your mind and your heart. I want to quote uh, another Martin Here, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. With a very famous quote that that many of you probably know. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Why do we quote him today? Because he followed Christ, not Cain. And because we need more of that in our lives. We need somebody who had a whole lot of reason to hate other people, right? I think he didn't like a whole lot of people or what they were doing but said let let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Hate takes, love serves. Let's read our last three verses and see what this looks like. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth, right? So I love how this thread continues. Truth, love, service. I love how John won't allow people to separate love from service. I love how he says, if you actually love your brother and you have the world's goods and you see them in need and you just pass them by, the love of the father is not in you. That this is not the kind of love we're talking about, right? If after today, right, we see somebody in the parking lot, we say, I love you, brother. Good luck with that flat tire. I'm out. i got to go to Applebee's. That's not love. Helping somebody, serving somebody. If you have the world's goods, which if they don't have a tire iron and you do, that's love. That's service. And what's John doing? He's doing the same thing he's been doing. He's teaching them to follow what Jesus said over and over and over and over again. It's not new. Remember a few weeks ago, I'm giving you a commandment, an old commandment. That is not new, but in this way it is new. And the way that is new is that Jesus is ruling and reigning and that we have the opportunity to to hide our lives with Christ. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another and that I'm going to call you my friends. No greater love than this, right, than somebody lay down their life for their friends. And I call you my friends if you do what I command, if you obey my commandments. Jesus isn't calling us to go to the cross like he did. He's the only one who ever will or ever could do what he did on the cross. No one else can ever do that. But he and John, his disciple, and us, John's disciples, right? Somebody discipled us somewhere. We can trace that lineage back to the message of Christ. We know where it all came from. Somebody taught us that this is what love is supposed to be. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to follow this example. I'm supposed to be love in action. If I have seen the truth and I have experienced love, I'm supposed to turn into love that turns into service for the brothers. But if we don't, if we continue to pick a people group, whatever people group you want to be mad at, and you dehumanize them and you turn them into the other or it, then the love of Christ is not in you. It's as simple as that then you may not have been forgiven. You may not know Jesus as your savior if we're able to do that without correction or reproof. If you get corrected, it's okay, stuff happens. And you say, oh, you're right, I'm sinning. Thank you, I repent, I'm coming back to you, Jesus. That's gonna happen to us all the time. But when we can defend it, when we can stand up and say, I know this person's going to hell. I just don't see how the love of Christ can be in us. I don't see how we believe the gospel for real. If we say anybody who's drawing breath, we can say, I know they're going to hell. That's not the gospel, church. Now, we can get mad at sin. We can even not like it. But we are called to love. Now. John here, he gives some really practical examples. He is making it very practical for the church he's serving at. As, as the, the worship team comes back up to the stage, I want to make it very practical for us today. Right? Two very practical ways that we can abide in this thread of truth, love, and service. How do we serve one another? We serve one another in two ways, as we gather and as we scatter. This is the model of the church. It always has been. It's never changed. But we have messed it up along the way. But it's still the model of the Christian church. As we gather and as we scatter. How can we serve as we gather? We gather together in worship. We're doing that right now. And you have done that. And you are doing that right now. The first way that you can serve somebody in worship as you gather is to show up right and if you're on facebook right now and you know perhaps there's a health related reason why you can't be here i'm not picking on you i'm not mad at you i support you i respect you but if you had chicken fajitas at red ox like i did a couple of days ago you better be in church, right? You can't go eat in a restaurant at a bubble and say, um, I can go eat in this restaurant, but I can't go to church. You need to be in worship. This is how we have to serve one another as we gather. And then what do we do? After we show up, we serve one another by serving each other's kids, by serving each other's families, right? I love my kids. They're the three least important people in my family, but I love them deeply, right? It, yeah, you can, you can get excited for that. I mean, I mean it. I'm serious. It's Jesus, Ryan, Rachel, and then the kids, right? They're, they're never going to be in charge. I'm, I just want to make sure you guys hear that, right? If you ever watch this on Facebook in 2050, <laughs> whatever it is, when you're taking care of me in the home. <laughs> right? yeah. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> but we got to serve each other's families. We got to serve each other's kids. And, and how does that look? If you've dropped kids off in the nursery or in preschool for five straight years and never served in the nursery maybe you could do that because as we've just seen you don't even have to like kids but you have to love them you are called and commanded to love in service right so we can serve each other's families. We can serve each other's kids. The 930 service, we need to launch childcare at that service. And I'm serious, right? Like if you don't even like kids, maybe you do like kids and you love them, you got to serve. We got to get people in the nursery. We got to get people in the preschool. We got to get people in the elementary rooms because we got to teach our kids. As Gary and I had lunch at Red Ox, we got to teach people, we got to teach our kids the songs we grew up, right? As we, as we sung the song uh, last week, be careful little eyes what you see. Right? That changes the way we look at things. How do we know Jesus loves me if I can't sing, Jesus loves me, this I know? we got to serve each other's kids. we got to serve each other with giftings. Right? There's been a handful of men that have preached the gospel from this pulpit in six years that this church has been open. But I know there's more than a handful of people that are called to preach here. we got to serve each other with our giftings. There's been a couple dozen people that have sung songs from the stage. And I know some of y'all can sing. Like, not sing, sang-sang, right? I know some of you can go, right? And, and Wendell's going to have auditions, and if you can sing, you got to get up here, right? If you can play, if you grew up, yeah, point at him. Come on, that's right, you, Kayvon. One time on the drums, it was great, brother, but it's still only been once. I want you back up here, right? It was great. I'm ready. Come on. Come on. Don't kick Stan off, though. Stan's doing a great job, okay? He's, he's got it today. <laughs> but there are people here that are gifted, so what do we do? Truth, love, service, Service, we serve each other as we gather. Because I am a firm believer that if the spirit of God is inside of you, you are gifted and equipped as a saint to do the work of the ministry. Every single one of us. Nobody is called to come and sit and leave. No one, that is not the calling on any Christian's life, right? We are called to make disciples, right? So this is, as we come together, as we gather, and we serve each other in the gathering, another way to do it, and this is the way that most people don't like to talk about, is you can give some money, right? You can tithe. And I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. I'm just going to simply give you a vocabulary study. Tithe means tenth. Right, it just, that's literally what the word means. I'm not going to tell you how to use your money, but I am saying that's a great way we can serve one another. By building up the body. And the word also says it that, that if you have the world's goods and you pass your brother by, then how is the love of God in you? And, and the reason why I talk about this is because on uh, Friday we had Life Group at my house. And Kim Smith, our Liberian missionary who was here last Sunday, he came over for Life Group. He shared in some delicious fried fish from southern Illinois. It was awesome. I heard you, mmm, bye <laughs> good. Uh, and, and he just kind of taught us and shared some, some life with us about, uh, you know, what, what life looks like as a missionary in Liberia. Uh, and he was like, I don't think I've tithed 10% in over 10 years. And I was like, I thought you were supposed to be spiritual. Like, what, what do you mean? You haven't tithed 10% in 10 years. And Ashara is going to help me out. What percentage did he say he tithes? 80 to 90%. You've got a microphone. And I was like, wow, I might not even be Christian anymore. Like, I'm, and I'm looking at his life and I'm like, that's what it looks like when you're not obsessed with the world's goods. That's what it looks like when discipleship is the only thing you think about. Now, and I'm not saying, you don't have to be a, a missionary in Liberia to do that, right? We don't have to do that. I guarantee you that some of us, the next purchase you're thinking about making, you don't need it. It's not really, wasn't expecting a bunch of amens for that one, but <laughs> if it's you, you know, right? And again, I'm We've never pumped or pride to get money out of anybody. That's not what this is. I'm simply talking about real discipleship, about how the world's goods, they entrap us, they ensnare us. But if we can just suffer a little bit, what is the compassion, what is the companion of suffering? Intimacy with Jesus. It's always what it is. If you know him. So that's our first practicality, serving as we gather and then serving as we scatter. What do we scatter into? We scatter into life groups. Right? And the first way you can serve somebody in a life group is being in a life group, that's right, well done, church, that together we can do this, right, we can be in a life group. And what is a life group? If you don't know what it is, if you don't think it's biblically mandated, if you don't know how to sign up, if you don't have the Woodside app, whatever it is, grab me after church because I believe in this with everything in me, that we are called to gather for worship and scatter to our homes with our neighbors and our networks to grow deeper in faith with Jesus Christ. It is the model of the church. It always has been the model of the church, to gather for worship, scatter to home. We don't leave Jesus in this sanctuary for 90 minutes on a Sunday and clap and say amen and leave. And then it's all done. Then our Christian experience is over. We've got to take it home with us. We have to pray for one another. We have to serve one another. You have to teach skills to one another. Like I'm expecting like people in my life group to teach my kids stuff. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm being vulnerable with my life so that our lives can, can mesh with one another and we can learn and we can be better together. We can learn how to love Jesus better together. And this is love in action. Truth Love, service, that if we have the world's goods and we pass up our brother that doesn't, we're missing it, friends. Every time the Bible mentions money, the vast majority, it's, it's paired with the poor. It's paired with those that don't have it. God's understanding of what we're to do with what he gives us is very clear. Our understanding is messed up. God knows, he, he gave us the word, it's right here. That's why we have to read the Bible. The point that John's making, the point that we see from Cain and Abel, the point we see with Jesus is that love does more than talk. That love is about action. That we have to actively love our brothers and our sisters. We can't just say we love you and then gossip about you behind your back. And I know it's a fight. I know it's a fight to follow Christ. I know it's a daily fight. In my life, I mean, a lot of times it's a minute by minute fight, right? I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need help because I really, really, really don't like something that just happened. I need you to help me love. I need you to help me make that small so I can love the person. And I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. I know that the long obedience in the same direction to Jesus is hard. And I know it's easy to cognitively say, amen, yes, discipleship, amen, pastor, and then to walk out and not do anything today or tomorrow or Tuesday or Friday whatever the day is we gotta walk it out church that love is more than just word and talk it's truth, love, service and action and deed I think Dr. King was right in fact I know he was right hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that hate takes and destroys and tears down and robs the church of who we're supposed to be love serves and builds up and redeems and regenerates and creates the newness of life it's the only reason we have newness of life because christ loved us so i pray today that we would understand how hate takes and we would understand how love serves but we would understand deeply as there's only two camps, children of God and children of the devil. Who do you belong to? Do you belong to God or do you belong to the devil? I was tempted to sing a Rick James song, but I, I won't go there. But It's the same idea. The world is saying, hey, I think you're hot. And I want to entice you and trap you in fake temporary love. God is saying, you belong to me. If you have, if your life has been hidden in Christ Jesus, if you have died, been buried, and resurrected with Christ Jesus, you are my child, and we need to act like it. We need to have a family resemblance. So I want everyone to stand to our feet, please. We're gonna sing our application today. Our application for the message is, I need you more. Jesus, I need you more. Because all of us need more of him. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, today is the day you need him the most. And if we don't believe that, then he's thinking, well, maybe today's not the day I'm going to use you the most. The more desperate we are, the more intimate we are with him, the more he uses us for his glory. I know that to be the case. I know that to be true. So with a little bit of sacrifice and some suffering, intimacy with Christ grows and love for our brothers grows. It's the only thing that happens when we look at our sin and understand just how far gone we were and how deeply we've been saved. So this song is simple. It's another new song for our congregation, but it's an old song that many of us have sung before. And the words are simple, it's I need you more. I'm gonna pray for us, we're gonna sing, and then we'll be dispatched shortly after that. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray that you would reveal to us, equip us to search our hearts. Are we your children, or are we children of the devil? There's only two camps, which one are we in? You've shown us how we can know, I thank God, thank you for inspiring the Holy Spirit to inspire John to write this letter that shows us how we can know we actually belong to you. How we can know we're actually Christians. And how it's not just about I checked the box and I checked in on Facebook for 90 minutes one Sunday. It is a life marked by love. So as we seek to follow you Jesus Christ and not Cain, as we know that hate takes and love serves, Would you lead us and guide us in the way of the everlasting? Would you introduce us more deeply to ourselves that we could see just how desperate we still are for you, Jesus? And as we sing this song and pray these prayers, would it be a pleasing aroma to you that you would rend heaven and you would satisfy every need. We love you. We praise your mighty name. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Let's worship together, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.